The latest episode of Soundtracking in association with The White Company sees us out and about once more, this time at the British Film Institute on London's South Bank. And it's a truly stellar cast. Director Lenny Abrahamson, composer Stephen Rennicks, editor Nathan Nugent and producer Gail Egan join me in front of an audience to discuss the music of their latest film, The Little Stranger. Based on the novel of the same name by Sarah Waters, the plot follows a doctor who visits an old house his mother used to work at, only to discover it may hold a dark secret. Now, as you'll hear, there's a bit more talking and a bit less music than we usually serve up, but what the gang has to say makes for essential listening if you have even the remotest interest in filmmaking. Before we crack on, a word from our friends at The White Company. Now, we all lead very busy lives, and I, for one, really appreciate a good night's sleep, what with being a working mum who's always got plenty on the go. The White Company has years of experience in crafting bed linen and more to help us achieve just that. Think of them as your own personal sleep experts. They've now launched a brand new range of products to help you achieve the best sleep possible. It's not simply cosy engulfing bed linen and nightwear, but naturally infused sleep remedies too, which I've genuinely found helpful in steering me towards a peaceful and restorative night's sleep. To find out more, just head to thewhitecompany.com or pop into one of their stores. Sleep better, feel better, live better with The White Company. Now, one of the reasons it was such a joy speaking to Lenny, Stephen, Nathan and Gail is that they brought along all sorts of exclusive clips to share with us, including alternative beginnings and rough cuts from The Little Stranger. Obviously, you won't be able to see these clips, but we've included the audio anyway to give you a sense of how much thought the team puts into every single frame. The guys also set up each clip in detail to give you a sense of well, what's going on and you'll get a feel for Stephen Fanagan's excellent sound design too. Hopefully, your imagination will do the rest. Now, at the very least, Stephen has delivered a beautiful score as demonstrated by this cue, First Time I Saw. Please put your hands together for director Len Abramson, composer Stephen Rennick, editor Nathan Nugent and producer Gail Egan. Thank you for being here. I was going to start by getting you all to do some bell ringing, if that's... <laughs> that's an excellent idea. <laughs> if that would be a good place to start. I want to start with trailers, if we can, because it's, it's an interesting subject to speak to to filmmakers 
um, and the filmmaking team about. Lenny, do you want to start? Sure. I mean, the main thing about trailers <laughs> is that the filmmakers don't really have much say over them. So you have kind of consultation and you chat about it, but I think ultimately it's up to the distributor. And that goes for the campaign generally. And that's always a funny point for filmmakers, I think, because I was lucky enough to have final cut on this film. So the film is as I would like it. And I, and, and then you have to let it go. But so the trailer is probably a bit more genre leaning and um, sort of scary and that sort of thing. The film is a little bit different to that. I was joking earlier on that it's a bit like, you know, giving a, a Jurassic Park kind of trailer to a to a David Attenborough documentary on dinosaurs, you know? <laughs> but uh, so, so the film's more, m more of, I think it's, it's, it's you, you, hopefully you'll see it if we don't put you off too much um, and you'll see where it differs. I mean, it, you know, there is a ghost story involved and, and that's all true, but, but yeah, you have to sort of let it go and, and be prepared to, to let them do their part. Mm. But isn't it true that all filmmakers really hate their trailers because basically it tells the whole film yeah. and we just go oh no you've got to you've got to hold something back you yeah, know yeah. don't don't t tell everything but of course that's not how it works in the cinema you get an idea of it you get a flavor of it and then you decide whether you're going to see it or not yeah i had this idea actually of i'd love to make a trailer which is just of random clips like you know <laughs> the sun rises a badger looks to the right you know a gun goes off somebody falls down because sometimes the trailers are that like, but as long as the music is doing, as long as the music as is doing its job, yeah, as long as there's big drums building up to a climax, and then it settles down. The first time I saw Hundreds Hall was July 1919. Nothing could have prepared me for the spell it cast. When I saw the house again 30 years later, I could hardly comprehend the change in the place. Why don't you tell me what's going on? You wouldn't believe me. Mother, this is Dr. Faraday. How did you find the patient? Little under the weather. It's war shock. They brought Caroline home to nurse him. I'd heard they were troubled. Very hush-hush about it. A long time ago. Who was a child here? What are you doing here? Susan died before I was born. There's something evil in this house. That's nonsense. Betty, what are you doing here? You rang for me, miss. I did not. Well, Mrs. Ayres was upstairs. Rang itself. Did it? What is all the noise? Your mind is playing tricks. Susan is a memory. It can all be explained. How innocent you are. I'm worried, Doctor. Last night he said he could smell smoke. And I couldn't smell anything. His delusions seemed almost contagious. Someone's playing games. People are capable of nasty impulses. There's something in this house that hates us. You do not belong here. Oh, yes. There'll be tricks tonight. Stop! Stop!
happened next. It was a mystery to me. There's a lovely story to tell kind of going back before Little Stranger. We, we got some fantastic clips to show from the film. Thank you so much for bringing those to share with us. But about you three in particular uh, and the relationship and, and how that started and it's worked across numerous films. I hope you don't mind if we just kind of touch on that kind sure. of briefly about, about how that relationship kind of formed and, and when it turned into a creative relationship with you. I suppose the history briefly yeah. is uh, Lenny and I met, I think, when we, when we were eight in school. And, and we survived. We survived. Yeah. Sorry. We did Lots survive. Lots of surveillance. Um, um, no, so and we, we were friends, and we went through secondary school together and then shared a flat for 10 years wow. in Dublin in, from about 1983 to about 1993. It's more than 10 years. It's more than 10 years. It's more than 10 years, so I'm going to revise the 10 years. It was around 10 years. It felt like about 40, but it was about 10. But, um, and, and we started, it was a time in Ireland when there was, there was no films being made at all. And I think we, we had done different things. I'd originally studied architecture, Len had studied philosophy, but we were always intrigued with the idea of being able to produce something visual. And, yeah. and, it, and we, you know, it was around the time where, where portable video and, and I mean, just about portable, because the first thing, one of the first things we, we ever made was a documentary about the Trinity Ball, where there was a, a four of us, I think, the person at the back had two car batteries. The next person had the actual pneumatic, I think it was. And we were all linked umbilically till eventually the guy at the front had the camera. And there's a very famous story about that, where we were walking through Front Square in Trinity. And... This guy, this guy who's, 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 a, who's a good friend, was walking, and we were, had the monitor at the back, and he was walking towards, there was a pole right, right in the middle of, of the frame, and we just kept walking, thinking he's, he's trying to get focus or something on it. So eventually he just kept walking and just bumped straight into the pole. And it was just, anyway, it's a separate story, part of our history. So then, yeah, um, another friend of ours who isn't here today, Ed Guiney, who, who worked with, with Gail producing, a little stranger. Um, he was also a friend from, I think, when we were about 14 or 15. So we started doing things together, shorts, and um, and then everybody went and did bits of different things. And then I think with Stephen in particular, I think including every commercial bar one where I was made use somebody else, I think we've done, you've done the music for absolutely every single thing that I've done, including all... Uh, and one American TV And thing. you've still been successful. Yeah, I have managed to drag you <laughs> with me. Um, and then with, with Nathan, um, I think this was our fourth film. Fourth film. Hello, everyone. Yes, he talks. <laughs> he does talk. Um, I just didn't want to interrupt that beautiful story. <laughs> that, that origin story. A, a single tear. Yeah. Somebody yeah. opened a window. Yeah. I'll keep my introduction short. Basically, <laughs> basically um, yeah, I'd done some work for, with Ed Guiney, one of the co-producers of this film, and... Um, he said to Lenny uh, on a film called What Richard Did, which had a very tight budget, compromised budget, I know a guy and he comes really cheap. So yeah, hence, yeah. <laughs> hence our working relationship began. Yeah, and, and um, so that, yeah, so we've done that. And then with, with Gail, we met probably, it's not far, it's about seven years ago, probably. Yes, seven years ago. And in fact, one of the first things you said to me was, now I have two givens. One is my composer, and one is my editor. <laughs> was they it in are. that order? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a, and there was a, a couple of things, which was that, so all the posters in Ireland, yep. fantastic, our sound designer, Steve Fanagan, is in the audience, did an amazing job on the film, so this would be our fourth 
project together as well. So there is a thing that, you know, when we started working together, if you find people that you can work with and they're, you know, that's an amazing thing. And, and I've always liked that continuity from project to project. Yeah. But with, with The Little Stranger, for example, because you've kind of got this, with, with the composer in particular, with you, Stephen, of, of that shorthand, I guess, from that relationship going back even before you started making films together. Does that mean you come on really early? You, you, is, is Lenny feeding you stuff to, to start thinking yeah. about the script stage? And I mean, I think we... I probably started talking about it when I first found out Len was doing it. And there was a stage when Len wasn't doing it, and then he was back doing it again. And I mean, now I'm thinking about potential projects. I don't know exactly what Len is doing next or whatever, but all the time in the back of my head. And I'm not even... It's not even necessarily that I'm working on them, but I know... But this is what kind of starts to... I start thinking well in advance what it might be. It never ends up being those initial plans <laughs> but that's part of the, in a way that's kind of a really important part of the process so I think the first I was on the set about this time last year it was about a couple of weeks ago the end of August and that was a lovely thing it's always a really nice thing to actually be on the set because it makes gives you this connection oh you were there that day mm. and it somehow places you it's it's a funny thing but it's a, it's a lovely thing and whenever I can I would actually go to go go to be on the set and I would just start thinking, and I would have my own ideas having read the script. And so I think then I would just start, I think I started sending Len pieces. And I started, I started sending him piano pieces because I thought piano would really figure in this, but in a different way to the way it did. I was sending him quite complete pieces and sending them to Nathan. And often I would just send five or six pieces and nothing would come back. There'd be no feedback. Mm. You know, they're, yeah, they're great or whatever. But then it's a process over months. It was great. At this. We had a lot of time on this film. And it was such a pleasure in terms of how it was organized and everything. Gail facilitated it fantastically. But it, but it was true, and it makes a real difference. So I was working on it for eight months, pretty much full time. also had the chance this time to one thing we did on on room was that we for the first time we we started sound design at the same yeah. time as we started picture cutting which is really unusual and it's just a luxury that you don't always have so we we sort of did that process on room but we had even more sort of uh, space on this one so we also were doing pre we were also mixing as we went and the the effect that that has is just that it just helps you make those editorial decisions when, when the sound is building and you know what it's achieving. 
So, you're, you know, it's, it's also what you don't, I mean, I don't know if you agree with this, it's what you don't have to do in the edit when you start to hear things that are doing loads of work that the yeah. pictures then don't need to do. Well, Steve Flanagan, our sound designer and mixer, he's very musical as well. So he would create certain, you know, uh, how best to describe them is as harmonics. And if you see the film, you'll, they're very present in the soundtrack and they exist somewhere between design and, and musical elements, mm. you know? And, and quite often they're very subtle very paired back in the background, but they exist throughout the film and they, they work beautifully. And, you know, a challenge was making, keeping them alive in the film with composed score and just seeing how they blended together. And that rework continued right all the way down to the final mix. Everyone was always on the same page. I think the, the, a big challenge with a film like this, and I'm sure this is going to come many times, is it sits between genres, you know, and... And it was always, and you'll probably see it in one of the clips we show when we were trying out music at the op for the opening, for example. And sometimes we go between Stephen's score and then other pieces. And you'd go between love themes and more genre-like themes, scarier themes. And, 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 you know, they all do different things. And openings are so important in terms of putting a, yeah. your, your surest foot first, you know. So that was a huge part of the kind of eighth, Eight months, yeah. nine month and, process, and, yeah. And, and I think also, I, I think sometimes people assume that what you know that you kind of really know what you're doing. <laughs> and at, the, at the beginning, no, in a in a more arch way, we, we absolutely do. But you no, know, <laughs> yeah. but part of it actually, part of really knowing what you're doing is not having fixed ideas yeah. at the beginning and mm -hmm. trying to discover. Like for me, it's trying to discover what the music of the film is. Not what music I want to put on it, but what's going to come out of the film. And on this film was different because it's, a, it's 1948. So what Steve Fanagan did, is trying to bring in these sounds that are, it's not music. I mean, I, I think of it as being music yeah. in a way because I've done stuff like that. And what, on what, what Richard did, there's loads of these sounds and textures and atmospheres. So in a way, what I was doing with the score was the kind of formal score part. But what Steve is doing is all the way through this weaving these sounds. But you've got to be really careful because it is 1948. Mm. And I think there's a real problem with that. And it's, I know this is going to be broadcast, but I'm going to nail my colours to the mast. In The Revenant, some, I think some of the use of the music in there is really problematic, from, was for me. It was using lots of modern... I, I mean, I think back to Chariots of Fire. I can't... I, I just start laughing. When I think about how that film was so su successful with that music on it. <laughs> and it's iconic music. Yeah. And it, so in one way it works. But for me, because it's not about making the music be noticed or the sound be noticed in a way. It's about eliciting a feeling mm. or an emotion from the viewer. That's what we're trying to do in a way, yeah. I think. Unless that's not the job. So I think what Steve did is to do that using these sounds and textures without noticing them. But if they're not there, you're really aware of the silence. But it, it's, it's the thing that... There's, uh, the, as, as Nathan said as well, it's this thing we will talk about again. How do you play with these elements that are highly charged for, for, a, for a cinema literate audience, like horror elements and ghost story elements? How do you play with those without the whole thing toppling over into that? Mm. And so the music is doing lots of the things in many places, as is the sound design, that are more conventional genre score would do. In other words, it is creating unease or it is suggesting that something else is occurring. And particularly, it's, it's animating the idea of something alive in the house, but very subtly. But it's doing it in a way which you shouldn't know that it, how it's doing it.
if you hear high jabbing strings, then you, you know that you're supposed to feel a certain thing. You're up there with the composer yeah. going, oh, yeah, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. So actually this score is quite, it's quite British, it's quite mid-century in places, but it's also doing other things. And all the other choices in, the, in, in how the film works are similarly trying to make that balance. Yeah. I'm just going to get us towards the opening. Yeah. Which, because, as Nathan said, people, you know, the opening of a film is so important because you're ha ha half of what you're doing is sort of educating an audience into what sort of thing it is that they're watching. And because this film comes freighted with all these overtones of, of genre films, it's extremely difficult to find the right place to put that. I don't know how you felt about that, Nathan. Yeah, like, it, it's one thing... It was, you know, I don't usually look back at projects, but for this, we kind of just opened up the project and looked at what we were doing way back when, and you begin to see we were circling around, you know, a love theme in a way, and it, and it was a very broad kind of general feeling around the beginning of the film, and, and clearly what we were circling around was Faraday's attraction to the place, yeah. not Faraday's attraction to Caroline Ayres. Yeah. But you think, it sounds really obvious now, but it was never <laughs> presented itself as obvious. You know what I mean? And, and these are the things you obviously have to keep fighting for and battling for and, and searching for through a long edit, you know? But that's a really good... Yeah. When, you, when you watch these things over and over again or when you're playing with a piece of music, I think the skill that you develop over years is knowing that there's something there. And then you're scratching away all the time, trying to put it into a different shape or try to... But you know there's something there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you'll have an idea and you, just, and you just, you know there's nothing there instinctively. And at the beginning of the film, actually, there's, we, it was always, I always found a, a real problem, where it ended, where the music stops. And this is the thing which Lenny and I have all, th I think through all, our, all the films, like there was a film, Garage, years ago. <clears throat> there's only three pieces of music in it. But it's how the music works, how it introduces it in this very formal way. Mm -hmm. And in this, I always felt that where we stopped the first cue was really theatrical. And we were trying loads of different ways, and we didn't know quite how to do it. We tried putting it later, and I think the very last thing, it might have been done even in the mix. Was, yeah. yeah, it was done in the mix. And that's all from, and, and, and you know, the funny thing about the mix is that it's when people are almost at their tiredest. Yeah. And it's the time when you have to be at your best. Because everything else has been about preparing the ingredients, and now you're baking them. It's a really concentrated time. I mean, Lenny's mixes are great. I mean, they're, they're, they're don't be kind of... We do have a laugh. We do have a laugh. But, yeah, but they're irreverent and bawdy, and, but they're fantastic. And actually, it's all about the work. And it's all about trying to discover the thing that we've been scratching at for ages, mm. you know. Should we take a look at this first clip? Do you want to set it up? It's the very beginning of the film, and what Nathan has done is he's given you slices of different score. So it's like a sort of a composite opening. It's like looking through layers of history of the cut as well. Yeah, just, just randomly stepping through different versions. Like, I think we, we probably reached about 18 rough cuts of this film. This is just drops into like four or five different versions. And as we're cutting the film, you know, every couple of versions, we just start trying different things, particularly with openings, you know. And it's probably a, a longer or another conversation to have about tempo. As I said, there's, you know, maybe four different pieces of music here. Two of them are Stevens, two of them, one of them is Debussy, one of them is like from um, another soundtrack, I can't remember which, but yeah, and you'll just see, we're just trying different things out.
it's also knowing and having the confidence to not have the music across the whole thing as well. Is that an easy thing to decide on? No. <laughs> no, 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 it really isn't. I mean, I, 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 it, again, I've said it before, I, I try and put in as little music as possible. Like, some films can take it. Some films you're trying to put as much music in to cover it because there's no drama there and you're trying to create drama. Or there's also just a kind of predisposition these days to putting in loads of music. It's a big thing in shorts, I notice, which yeah. is yeah. if somebody has an opportunity to score a short, every single change of expression, every, every turn, yeah. every moment will be scored. And that's understandable. And it is understandable, yeah. but the, yeah. thi the thing is to sort of I mean, give something air. And, but it's also the, the complexity of, of anything as messy as filmmaking is that it's also about the cut. So we were initially the film for many, many cuts was opening with Faraday in the car driving towards Hundreds Hall, which is this place that's going to be very significant. And quite late on, we had the idea of taking this shot of him shaving, hearing the phone ring, cutting to title, and then he's going towards the house. And that totally changed everything because it meant, even though it's only a very short slice at the beginning, it places you with Faraday and has the place call him in. And then what Stephen's music is doing, and that music will come back It'll weave through his relationship with Caroline and kind of tease you with the idea that that's what the pull is. And then it attaches itself more to the house, which gave, is what it Gave Faraday, uh, he, he became more innocent in the whole endeavor, really, wasn't it? Yeah. It wasn't like his, his choice to go there. It's like, you call me. Yeah. I was fine. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, then, uh, and Steve's point about where the music comes out, because it comes out right, just it goes out on that drive, so it's colder. That's basically the coldest. In a way, the music's quite gentle, but it's the coldest use of music that we ever had. The one thing I'd say about about being careful with how much music we use in general is it does put more pressure on the cues where they exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, you yeah. know, if it is wall-to-wall -wall music, like an action movie you or whatever, notice, yeah, yeah. you don't notice where yeah. it starts and ends, yeah. and it's usually mixed quite, quite deftly and so on. And like like Lenny's films are never going to have transitional cues, you know, a new dawn breaks or anything yeah. like that. So. It's, you know, it's finding music that plays between the cracks. Is yeah. the, you know. But actually, it's just worth saying as well, the first piece there, the beautiful piece of music, was, was Debussy. And it's quite interesting, because it's the, by far the most lovely, complete piece of music. Don't but be actually, so hard on yourself. <laughs> but actually, no, no, but, no but, the, but the thing is, it's quite interesting, because it's not my job to write a, piece, a beautiful piece of music. It's my job to write something which is going to work and develop through the film and work and make the film better. 
And because my background is as a filmmaker, it's not as a composer, that's my focus. Mm. So even though I think the temp at one stage was the Debussy piece, and it's, you know, that's really difficult because you're trying to do something to match that. But actually, that's the wrong thing. The Debussy piece is unmatchable in some ways, but it's also too big for the pictures. It's got its, it's in a way when you play that music, the pictures accompany the music. It's like doing a video for Debussy. But that's a really, you know, it, it, if there are people out there who are interested in composing for, particularly for film and, or, or for TV, your concern is the images. Your concern is the overall film. It's not about, look, everybody wants to have their brand and to be successful and to do that and think, but if you start doing that, you're losing the focus of what's going to actually make you successful, which is to concentrate on being a filmmaker. And it's the great thing about like working with Steve and with Nathan and Len is that there's a constant to and fro, and all the time is the concern of what is going to make the best film. And those decisions will go to even, you know, it's not about, it's, it's, it's shying away from, you have to bear it in mind about how commercial the, f the film is going to be. Yeah. But there are big calls to be made about what, what is going to make the film a piece that exists. Which also means that you have to work with producers who are not constantly waiting for an opportunity to nudge you in a more commercial direction like unfortunately Gail did all the way through the whole thing. Uh, no, but I mean, it is that. It's being given the space and the, and the respect for the process. And I think we also work in a particular way, which, yeah. which was something that you tuned into pretty quickly. Yeah. I was going to ask you it that, just, actually. It's just a pleasure. Well, in terms of you know, the, the amazing work that, that you've worked on prior to this film and the, the fantastic directors that, that you've worked with, be it you know, Anton Corbin or Stanley Tucci on Final Portrait that you worked on, which I absolutely loved as well. And, and of course, working with Mike Lee on a number of films, how that experience compared to, to this, where there's a, a very strong relationship between a, a quite a number of people on the creative team. Uh, I mean, it's just, it was just a pleasure. I mean, it was, it was really uh, right from the get-go. I mean, we, we just, you, you said, this is my team. I went, oh, no. <laughs> okay, no problem. I mean, you know, their you know their work speaks for itself anyway, and they were very talented. It was just a pleasure to have them on board, and you were very open to, you know, shooting in England. It was a different. We had a different. You had a different production designer, you know, and it's really nice to have a core of people who know each other really well, who who can, you know, they don't need even to communicate. They're just they're in sync with one another. Mm -hmm. was still, it was yeah, and made it very pleasurable. Do you get involved in the music side of things at all? As a producer, were you hearing stuff? Was Lenny sending you stuff? Yeah, Lenny, Lenny sent me stuff. Um, so yes, but I, you know, I stand to one side. I'm, one of my first conversations with Steve went along the line that, we, yeah, we'll probably have about I don't know, four, five, six musicians. I was quite surprised oh, yeah. when I got to our, when I got to Dublin for the record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What were you faced yeah. with? <laughs> Well, a large orchestra. <laughs> so, yeah, it you was know, never things, mind. So involved. Things, things, things moved along, but it, you know that's part of the process. I like it. It's, yeah. it's part of the fun of it.
I mean, I'm not a big fan of big orchestras. I'm, I'm not coming really? going, oh, I... Re oh. <laughs> Are you, do you think I had the orchestra because I wanted it? <laughs> like, no, it, it, it became a thing where... Where, like, I really like having a lot of control in the studio and, and, and the sound. So for me, to hand it over to, to an orchestra, I find that quite unsettling. Okay. Um, because it means there's all these other people involved. And I mean, it's an amazing experience and a real privilege. We worked with the Ortiz Symphony Orchestra, who are really good. I oh, mean, they were fantastic. They weren't in the past for various reasons, but they are now. They're, 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 they're really good. They're off the booze, which is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's now illegal to be, to be, to be pissed at work, so. <laughs> it's health and safety gone mad. <laughs> it's gone. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, no, it's actually one of the great parts of, of, uh, of immigration and some great players coming in from Eastern Europe. Mm. And the level went up and people thought, we're going to lose our jobs, we better start playing properly. <laughs> like, really, I remember years ago doing a thing where there was a, there, there was a string section and there was some, somebody was flat. And I just said, um, somebody's flat. And they went, and they all kind of looked at each other and went, we don't know who it is. And I said, well, can the leader come in and listen to it? And he came in and listened and he went, yeah. I don't think you're going to get it much better. <laughs> and it was just like, there you go. That's, that's what it is. Just like whiplash. But now, actually, because we, we could have, and I think it was on room, we had, a, we had the choice of maybe going to Toronto or England. And I don't know if we had the choice to come to England on this one or whatever. Yeah, we, we could have, yeah. We could have, but actually the standard is is much higher mm. and which we did which mix, we mixed the music here which was with a brilliant yeah. team of mixers and that I th funny enough with Stephen as well uh, myself and Nathan actually had to put quite a lot of pressure on him to let go of some of the things that he would like to do himself would that be fair Nathan like what yeah. like what like mix, mix the music mix the music <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well, no, yeah, no, no, I'm like now, I'm now seeing now that I think back, it was all yeah. staged. It was doubled. No, we staged. It was an, an intervention. intervention. That's what it was. <laughs> right. But actually, it's just one of those things. Like for a score of this scale, a composer shouldn't be down in the trenches dealing yeah. with those the minute details of how we. Yeah. How to mix this? Yeah, but you know send, I mean? but send like me away on a holiday for four weeks. Is <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. But like it, it, it you know. It gave you distance as well. No, it looks. It, yeah. it, it was great. It was great. And and on this, it's the first time I've basically uh, the analogies that I've flown first class, and I'm never going back. Because um, we had a fantastic music supervisor called Clee Savage, and we had a great music editor called Andy Glenn, and they were things that I'd never used before. I'd never worked with a music supervisor. Yeah. I'd never, and I didn't want to. I mean, that's the thing. I was doing all the music editing in the past, and it was very suspicious. Yeah. Was I? Was I? Yeah. God, it's terrible. Was that you instigating that, Gail? Yes, partly, but only sort of as a suggestion. I tried to do it very gently. I just thought it might, you know. And had they warned you that I was kind of. No, like, not at all. No. I could see that. I bet you they had. This is all a setup. But we, we touched on it earlier after we played that last clip about knowing when it's important to not have music as well as have music. And we've got another clip that we're, we're going to look at now, which which you very kindly, again, Nathan, put together a, a few kind of rough cuts with music. Yeah, it's, it's, roughly the sa it's roughly the same scene twice. The first time it's obviously not graded and it's pre-mixed, so it would have been like with kind of work in progress effects and dialogue and so on. But we've put one of the cues as recorded with the orchestra, so we were qu getting quite close to the end there. 
And that was the queue as we were going to go and mix with. And, and then you'll see the scene afterwards, as it appears in the film, and the choice we made about the music and how to use it in, in that scene. I'll just set the scene because um, in the center of the house, in the middle of this house, which is at the center of the film, there's a, a kind of a, uh, a stairwell um, and there's a, you know, you can see up two floors and then to a skylight. In fact, in one of the clips, you'll see the, the skylight, which is CG, is not there, so you'll notice that. But this is Faraday's first time on his own in this most charged of places in the film, which is, it's a place where something happened many years before also. So it's highly kind of charged. And you'll see what Stephen does in the scored version. And... Hopefully you'll see what happens when that's not there as well. Hello? Hello? Um, sorry, Doctor. Let me help. Everything's jumpy tonight. Betty? Are you all right? I love Betty. Yeah, she's she's fantastic, a, isn't she? She's brilliant. Yeah. So good. She, she's she 17 and She hadn't school, even taken her A-levels at that point. Really? Oh, wow, she's awesome. I'm excited to see what she does next. They, with that, there's obviously, you know, it's taken out, but there's still... You know, there's still sound design. So all those harmonics that Stephen talked about earlier, so all of Steve Fanagan's work is still there. But it is interesting that, it, like, it's begging to be dramatised because of what's happening. He's, it's his first time he's been invited as a guest to this house. But by take, I think the thing that you notice if you're watching, you watch both the clips, is that without the music, you lean in more to mm. what's happening. Mm. And you question it more. And you're not, it doesn't, flow over you. It's really pleasant. It's really lovely the way it flows over you with music. 
but in a funny way, you're not allowed the luxury of going, this is pre-digested for you. And, and instead, you have to wonder why it is that you're waiting with him for this. Yeah, just interrogate it a bit more. And lean in is the right word. But yet again, it's very hard to make those final decisions until you're in the final mix. And you hear, yeah. you can put the two things up against each other. And you know, it's always, I suppose, it's a key thing for us is to always be open. And obviously, with Lenny as a director, he'll always be open to those ideas right to the very, the very, very end. So we've made, we made in some of the films yeah. huge decisions in the last in the very last phases of something. So that the sound team are always kind of, they always look a bit haunted because, you know, <laughs> yeah. a week from the final mix, you're going, we're just going to send you just a little tweak, you know. <laughs> but, but you have to keep doing it. In Room, wasn't it the last cue, was, which was really important? That was down to the last yeah. day or something, I think? It was. An all, As to and, which and one we were going to use. We also took out, I mean, we took out, we've taken minutes out of things in the, in the last week. And it's, uh, you know, I always think my analogy is, is like tuning a guitar string that for ages the string clunks as you tune. And it's only those last few turns that yeah. bring you to, to pitch. So you, you sort of have to, I think the problem is, is just as it goes to what Stephen said and Nathan said, it's, mm -hmm. it's not making things fit a predetermined fixed image, mm -hmm. but really continuing to watch and listen as you make something. There's, there's a really nice time uh, when you're supposed to picture lock, and it's, it's called soft lock now. Soft lock, yeah. Not for the never financiers. Actually, yeah, it's yeah. Not, not for, for financiers. Or, they, they don't, they don't yeah, recognize soft they don't, lock. So, it's a secret one. So it's when you're yeah. supposedly saying, I'm not touching the film, like we're not touching the film now, it's done, ready to go, off to sound, and sound will work on it for any period of time between five and seven weeks, and then you'll go to the final mix. But actually, it's those that five to seven weeks that we often find is the best time because <laughs> yeah. the pressure is kind of <laughs> off you in a weird way, and you can kind of see it for what it is in many ways. Yeah. And you can kind of live with the film because everything up to that point is if we have another screening, and we have to screen, and we have to get to this point, and we have to... And so you always feel that you're 90 to 95% right. It must be lovely for you, is it? But yeah, but it yeah. unfortunately, it does throw <laughs> everyone else in the process. Absolutely yeah. out of sync. And we decided, yeah. at one point, we decided we just weren't going to tell anyone. Yeah, no. <laughs> I really? Mean, yeah. And, and the funny thing is, I know, like, anytime I've t told people about this, I'm waiting to get calls from producers going, will you please stop saying that to people, you know? Because, <laughs> you know, but it actually, the thing is, if everybody holds their nerve, the systems are really good. It's all digital now, so it's not that hard. I'm looking at... Steve in the audience going, you know, having a slight panic attack. Uh, but it isn't actually that hard to reconfigure stuff. And, and if it's going to be better, like mm. what's more important? Because you're going to live with it for the rest of your life. But when do you know yeah. when to stop? When do you know? When you run out of time. When it's when, over. When, when, you know, when who says stop? Who says we've got to stop? Yeah, we no, do. Lenny does. Yeah. But we do, like through the edit, we do, similarly with music, uh, but also with the picture, like we do try everything. We don't leave anything left untested or anything left untried. There's no idea that we would ever close the door on. And yeah. at least explore up to a point where we go, no, it's not worth mm. going. And there are definitely times where Nathan will be the person who will say, and Stephen was present for one of those on this. And Nathan's very good at sort of holding his, waiting for his moments. And he'll usually say, I don't think this is going to work. I think this is a really bad idea. And I'll say, well, well no. And they say, what? And he said, well, you know, and then he will talk, he will suggest some catastrophic <laughs> cut, like the best thing in the film. We should lose it. And we arguably lost, we have arguably lost from this film 
two or three of the most powerful moments we shot. No question. Wow. Because in the end, the film's better as a film without those mm-hmm. moments. And Nathan is, is good at picking, you know, and actually I think we're all pretty good at that. I, I don't... Because the rigidity is always the enemy, you know? And I think rigidity is often a sign of lack of confidence because if you have had an idea, everybody's stamped, uh, it's approved, you think you're safe with it, you're holding to it, and you go, well, if I let this idea go now, then everything's possible. And what? And I think part of the thing for me has just been learning to go, no, the roof doesn't fall in. We can go back to that if we don't find anything better. Mm. But why not ask the question, why not lose the, the amazing thing that you've always thought was the center of that part of the film and see what it does? But it also seems to always, when you do lose something, it seems to reveal something else mm. that actually gives another layer. And, yeah. and, and then you know you're, you're on the right track. The, the hard part know? psychologically is if you've lived with the film a certain way yeah. or in and around a certain way for two, three months and you're suggesting one of these catastrophic changes and you've, in theory, only got two weeks left. Yeah. You go, well, how will we really know? How will we really feel? But you can usually, everyone usually can tell whether yeah. it's a good, good idea or not. You know? There's a beautiful scene in the film, which I love, which is at a dance, which I really love mm. that scene. And, you know, obviously music's a big part of, of that scene. Um, I love the way that they dance together in it. And how, how did you... How did you film that? And also in terms of placing the music and well, deciding it, on the music for that specific scene. So it, 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 there's an interesting thing with that sequence. So they, Faraday and Caroline, they eventually, um, they have a, a sort of a date of sorts, but it's not, it's not kind of properly, he doesn't properly ask her out. They just, they sort of end up going to this dance together and it's a, it's a hospital dance in a village hall. And uh, what we did was we picked pieces from contemporary pieces, foxtrots, waltzes, a little bit of a, there's a sort of an up-tempo kind of American piece as well, a bit jazzier. Um, American Smooth is what they would American call smooth. it, or Strictly Come Dancing. That is, it's American Smooth, you're right. <laughs> um, and so what we did was we worked with a couple of really good people who are really good at, at, at that sort of, you know, researching era and, and finding the right pieces, but we all listened to them and, and signed off on them. And then the guys in the film, mm-hmm are recorded playing those pieces. So they really are proper musicians, but they also have just the right faces. I mean, they really look like... Uh, I mean, amazingly enough, we haven't changed in, you know, <laughs> 60 years or whatever it is. <laughs> but but uh, so, so we recorded that, and we recorded it in a proper acoustic environment. And then the dance was choreographed very carefully. It was It was a bit of a number, but one of the things we did, which was really sensible, was we did serious rehearsal for that, oh, didn't yes, we? Yes, we did. We built it in a shed... Uh, the the hall and we put, we chalked it out and we had everybody there and we because it was really the what they call the the Paul Jones which is the dance where they they will find a different partner yeah so complicated it was the hokey cokey it had me Benny was calm as anything I was sweating I was like oh my goodness this is just so difficult but we had such a fantastic team of dancers and a bonkers yeah. but fabulous choreographer yeah, great choreographer so all of that is. It, I think it really does feel very real as a scene, you know, and that's, it's a hard thing to do because I've seen, when you see dancing in films, first of all, what will usually happen is that the audio, the, the music's recorded not really properly in a, it doesn't sound like it should. And I think that was done in a studio, but, but you guys did a whole number on it to make it feel. We then also, I think, recorded it through speakers in that room and things like that. So, um, but just to make something believable and feel, and actually 
experience on on Frank was somewhat part of that as well, where you are actually using real, you are filming live music being played, which is. But it's it is it, um, from the very beginning when I saw it because I wasn't involved in that and and uh, I loved it as a sequence and I just thought it just it was like this kind of social study in uh, and the way it is filmed in is lovely no but but yeah awkwardness but just those dances the sound of it everything about mm. it is really wonderful but it's it's a bit like when you see people try and film soccer or rugby and it looks like it just always feels wrong and similarly when you see it done wrong it's awful you just everything but this is really I, actually I somebody who wrong. really should take a bit of credit is our is our dp ula yeah. i mean he moved so fast he moves with the dancers which is somehow why it feels so sort of kinetic Absolutely. it's just extraordinary how quickly he moved and how little the camera moved mm. he's the, he's a, a a 6 foot 4 norwegian dp and he just did american animals as well and he's just an extraordinary cinematographer but he's the best handheld camera operator i've ever worked with it's yeah. quite extraordinary yeah. how good he is and so the way we worked it we couldn't have filmed that sequence and you don't want it to be sort of contemporary handheld in feeling because it's not it would feel wrong oh. to be yeah. sh shooting 48 1948 with a sort of wobbly cam and so yeah that was a big part of it we're going to see another clip that you um you've very kindly brought which is this wonderful sequence which flits between time frames, um, but this most gorgeous piece of music. So this is where it is fully scored, and we're just playing the final version. And so the story is, again, older Faraday and his younger self had, his younger self had, a, ver had a relationship with this house. And there's an event that happens in the, in, in the story, which you'll see now, where Faraday kind of, young Faraday steals something from the house. And it's all the phases of this are scored and we take it through into the beginning of the next sequence as well to see how score can create a sense of a paragraph finishing and a, and a new, or a chapter finishing and a new one beginning. I'm afraid I was spoiled thoroughly and given the most fantastic treats. It was any small boy's dream. It made me feel, just for that moment, a part of the life of the house Perhaps that explains, to some degree at least, what happened next. My smart clothes that day were all borrowed or begged. But there, in that grand hall filled with marvellous things, I could not help imagining that I belonged. A proper little gentleman. I was no such thing. 
I left behind all such ambitions that day. Funny. A small thing. So many years ago. Yet the memory's quite fresh. Sit up, please, Alan. Chin up. Now, let's see if there's been any improvement. Open, if you can. Open. Can you see who it is, Alan? Well, well, well. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Good. I mean, beautiful score and um, all different ideas that recur in different parts of the film, themes and, and beautiful cutting. So yeah, well like, done, the boys. It's worth saying, like, we would rarely do that thing of, of running one like cue, particularly long cue, into another. I think we did it in room maybe once, but what it does there is so brilliantly is it just acknowledges the significance of what you've just seen and redefines the next movement in the film, you know? Um, so clever the way it, the music can shift your perception or, or add ambiguity almost mm. in terms of a, a situation or a character as well. And all the things are, in the process, all the things are shifting all the time. So the cut is changing, the score is changing, the two things are trying to find some equilibrium where they're both pushing in the same direction. And, and, and also, you're trying to think about it globally because every this film, particularly every small change we made at any part of the film, seemed to have a big effect across the whole film. Mm. I think the length of time of the edit that was the other thing I think I said to you, yeah, Gail, at the beginning. Yes, it was. Um, was don't I, squash me don't in squash the edit. The edit don't squash it, me in the edit. Um, we did not make huge structural changes to the film. It remained more or less what it was, but it took us eight months to find the the balance and the nuance in it to the extent that we did. And I'm sure, you know, you could have spent some more months, but, you know, at that, like, at, there's a certain point. That you... scene, actually, was probably the biggest structural change in that the full revelation of that was far further down into the film, and we pushed it yeah. right back into the middle, you know. Because, because it's so small, the yeah. breaking of an acorn, where it was in, this, in the film, it was in the place where, in a more conventional film, you would have the explaining reveal, the thing that tells you why that unlocks the mystery. But of course, it can never be that. It can never be the breaking of the acorn. It has to be about the significance of that for the character. And so what Nathan did was to pull that back, found a way of pulling it back. And then it repeats later, but in a different way and in a darker phase of the film. But that took us quite a while to, to do. Before we run out of time, can we please talk a little bit about Room, if sure. that's okay? I hope you don't mind, Gil. Is no, that all right for a second? Oh, congratulations. Again, on that film, it's just extraordinary. It's so great. With the music with that, you said earlier that you, you probably took out a lot of music than you originally thought you would have in it. Why was that? I mean, it was tough. I mean, it's always tough. But I think the film simplified generally, didn't it? You know, we found that so much of the resonances were created by a story that was, like, uncomplicated. So we, yeah. it was a process of uncomplicating the, the storytelling. Um, and we thought we would need more in the second half than we needed. And there were sequences that we lost. And yeah, like, again, this is all after the fact that you're able to kind of 
see these things? You know, at the time, there's certainly not being discussed, but I'm sure maybe you were thinking about it, Lenny, when you were working with Emma on the script. But, uh, you know, you start to notice that the Jack's moments of, you know, voiceover where he's directly talking to you, like the way they're placed in the film, or the way they seem to be now and again, all after the fact, it's almost like songs in a musical. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. break the film beautifully in that way, actually, in the way that it's very difficult in other films to do, <laughs> to have these little moments where you can just step outside the yeah. standard narrative and step into a character's headspace in a really delicate way. And it was like, you know, again, all as written, there was one or two we expanded to accelerate storytelling and so on and just help in that regard. And what Stephen did in terms of scoring those for want of a better word, songs. If you if you look look back at the film, those are more like songs than mm. standard kind of staccato score that gets to a point. Yeah, they totally. all have start, middle, and ends, you know, and and they play as these beautiful pieces that you cannot play on the radio, and you often hear them in Ireland on the radio. Where did you start with the score for, for Room? I mean, Room, because of the nature of it, you're trying to tell this incredibly dark story, mm. but through the eyes of a child. So when you're starting, you're kind of going, so how do you do that? Do you, do, do you make the music childish? Do you make it childlike? Do you do it? Do you start to tell the story in a different way by make, just starting out with the music being dark? And you go through all of these things, and we discuss it and whatever, and then Nathan would have some ideas with temp that seemed to be working, and it's always Alexander Desplat. And it's, <laughs> and it's, I mean, I wouldn't mind if he put on stuff that was shit, but he doesn't. He puts on stuff which is, you're trying to aspire to this stuff all the time. Um, but but it, it is, it's about trying to find something which, like every piece of music has to contain the DNA of the whole film in a way. So mm -hmm. the sounds that you use and all have to somehow, you know, it, it's that stuff that it's hard to even, it's hard to, reverse engineer mm. because sometimes you'll just put two things together often it's an accident often it's a cue you write for somewhere else and then you try it somewhere and it just seems to do something yeah and you don't have to understand what it does you just have to know how to manipulate that and make it work because that's the sculpture and that's the art in a way you know it's that idea we, we often speak about like a sculpture you're you're taking bits off to reveal what's already there mm. and the thing is with some scripts there's nothing there so if you reveal it, you're left with nothing. But in a really good script that's really well directed, and so you end up with a really good film. So from my point of view, I have the privilege of working on stuff that I know there's something there. Mm. So hopefully I won't mess it up. That's what I'm trying. No, but of course, genuinely, at the beginning, I start out terrified, going, God, how do I not mess this up? That's always my starting point. because, And it's a good place to be, because it makes you really, really try. I mean, 
if we're going to talk about Frank, the levels of terror on that, <laughs> that's a, there's a direct line between the levels of terror and what was produced at the end, which was just to do with, well, I'm going to mess it all up, so I might as well do it in style and give it everything. And in a way, you know, that is quite an important thing. If you go into something going, oh, no, I'm going to do here, it'll be grand or whatever. Yeah, you'll hand over a bit of craft, but it won't involve, it won't involve those moments where you really search, where you, don't, where you go home and you can't sleep. Anyway, sorry, I'm going off the beaten track here. That's good. Um, but but the, the, I don't really know, I, I, I never listen to the music from Room. It's not my favourite. It's not my favourite. But thing the thing, really? the thing well, that... We're about to listen. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm going to go outside. So the, the cue that you're about to hear in Room, I think it illustrates one thing really well, which is how do you... It, it takes place, so anybody who's seen the film, it's after Brie Larson's character uh, tries to take her own life and Jack is left alone in the house, right? So it's a particularly grim moment in the film and then you go into his voice. And so the music has to acknowledge, it can't deny for the adult audience the kind of emotional significance um, of what's happened. But it also has to respect the efforts of the child to see it in a particular way. And it's also a, it is, as Nathan says, a song. So uh, I think, you know, both the edit and the music here, again, it's an example of how those th two things work extremely well. And it's a sequence that I think we crafted. We knew that there would be a moment in the film, in the second half of the film, where we would see once the room again. And, and that's what this yeah, is. Yeah, like, like when we're in Toronto, like Lenny had the opportunity to shoot all this extra material in room that he knew was going to find a life somewhere in the second half of the film. And as Lenny said, we could only do it once. We could only go back to that place, that terrible place that they'd try so hard to leave uh, once. So, uh, and, and again, it was just through experimentation and just pacing and finding the right... You know, and it's the lightness of, of, of that. Because you think, again, if you were being mechanical about this stuff, you'd go, okay, when we see that again, we have to emphasize the horror, which would have been entirely the wrong thing to do. So instead, it's it's a the strings are emphasizing like emphasizing something here. totally yeah, exactly. different, yeah. But just again on that, in, in the way that this actually works, it's not that I play Lenny and Nathan something and they go, "That's not working," and then I go back, write something else, and I go, "Here we go." I go, yeah, that's great. We probably did fourteen or fifteen backwards and forwards on this, where they say, "Well, there's something at the beginning of that." So just so there would be revision after revision, trying something completely different. Mm. That's how it works. And even so, even at the end, there might be a cue which I don't think is working, but Lenny and Nathan, or Nathan or Lenny or whatever, think it's working. I'm not going to go, you're wrong, guys. I'm going to go, great, I can move on to the next one. Yeah. But it is that, it's actually trusting. I'm kind of going, well, I don't see it yet. And, and, and I've rarely, I don't think I've ever, you know, seen something that I've done that later and gone, no, I think I was right. I think I always just, you just trust it to the to the process, because you kind of have to, because it, it, it works. And I'm not the person best place to know how my music is working in the film, if you know what I mean. Because mm -hmm. sometimes when I'm working, I'm just concentrating on that. And I just, so when, when Lenny and Nathan were here for the first time, they'll have a, a better idea, in a way. Uh, we're going to make you listen to it yeah, right now, okay. if that's all right. It's a beautiful piece of music as well. There's so much of place in the world. 
there's less time because the time has to be spread extra thin over all the places, like butter. So all the persons say, hurry up, let's get going, pick up the pace, finish up now. Ma was in a hurry to go boing up to heaven, but she forgot me. Dumbo, Ma. So the aliens threw her back down, crash, and broke her. Described by one New York reviewer as Stephen Reddick's misguided plinky plonky score. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that you remember the bad reviews or anything. Like that. Exactly. I'm not bitter. And, you know. It just breaks my heart of him building the room with Lego. It's kind of. Well, you know, he's missing. That's what you know. Mm, that's the point of that yeah. whole cue is he's missing that plate. Was the the scene where Bree's character, where Ma sings him to sleep, was that in the book? I no, don't it think wasn't so. In the book, no. So I think Big Rock Candy Mountain is something we decided would work. Yeah. And it's such a bittersweet song and yeah. so lovely. So we had to, yeah, in the, that's right, that was something that, that we, and that worked very, very well. One evening when the sun went down and the jungle fire was burning, down the tracks came a hobo hiking and he said, boys, I'm not turning. I'm headed for a land that's far away Beside the crystal fountain Oh, come with me Go and see The big rock candy mountain Although, yeah, you're bringing me back to filming, trying to film inside that wardrobe. So I'm sorry, how many flashbacks? Remind us how, how big it was? Well, the room was uh, about basically uh, 11 by 11, and we, we, we respected its its boundaries so we didn't take the walls out or anything like that it was it, we had holes that we could shoot through if we needed to but yeah and there were lots of crew i i always think i think of myself as spending a lot of time in the armpits of large men <laughs> you know or or i actually spent quite a bit of time in the bath because you could lie in the bath i could lie in the bath with a monitor and then pop up to give Jake a direction and then lie back down again. No, that's a horror story. It was, it was a very undignified experience. Did you, were you even in the wardrobe? I was in the wardrobe. <laughs> I, I did, uh, yeah. I, I was all over it, yeah. Um, we're going to finish on Frank. You kind of touched on it. And we, I think what we decided earlier today is that we probably need an entire session just for Frank. So if you're willing to come back at some point, we'll do a Frank special at some point because it's impossible to even go there without needing a good couple of hours. Yeah. Yeah? I think I'd love yeah. to do that. Yeah, it'd be great. But just quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, I mean, you know, music is, is, is such an important part of, of that film and, and creating a band's repertoire for a film. I mean, Stephen? Yeah, yeah well, well, again, it was a, t it was a, it was a team. And, and, and um, I think it was, again, testament to to Lenny, that Lenny's stock when he went to film four, 
you know, Film 4 decided they were going to do it, and I think, it's, as is often the way, when a production company decides they're going to do something musical, they'll think, who's on my playlist? And they think about all these people and think, great, we can get them in, we can get the Flaming Lips, we can get all these people. And they did, and they contacted those people about writing songs. And Lenny had said quite early, he'd suggested me, people were probably going, oh, great, yeah, but who, who's he? I said, you know, I, I would have been thinking that. If I was in Film 4, I'd done Lenny's films. So there was a huge leap of faith by them and by Len to get me. And I think at the beginning, I, I think I said, I'm not sure. And Len said, I'm sure you can do it. And that was really important because it meant, I, I kind of thought, look, if Len thinks I can do it, then I think I, I can do it. And it was incredibly intense. We were, I mean, we, whenever we talk about it, we think, but how did we do it? We were writing songs on the road. We had, everything had to change to fit Michael's timetable. And we were literally writing songs that were being shot a week later in Albuquerque. And depending on who you cast, yeah. as cast changed and you learned what musical ability people had, what instruments they could play, that would be a total rethink of the band. Oh, there were just so many multiple and luck and huge amounts of luck yeah. in not doing some things that would have been catastrophically uh, bad. Or, But I will say that, um, you know, and the decision to, to do, it, do the music live because... We'd seen so many films, you've seen so many films where bands play, and you just know it's playback, and you know that the actors aren't musicians, and they're not really playing their instruments, and it just, even if, it, even if you get away with it, it doesn't feel the same as watching somebody play something, so yeah. I spoke to heroes of mine, you know, bands and musicians, but it kept coming back to the fact that myself and Stephen would talk and go, yeah, but really what they should really do is more like that. Mm. And then the decision to just say, no, we've always worked in this way. Let's continue to work in mm -hmm. this way. And we couldn't have done it if we hadn't been constantly responding to the things that were happening. I honestly think our sound man who did both the, the, you know, the, the ordinary location sound and all the music recording yeah. nearly died. I think he nearly <laughs> died. I really do. His name is Neil O'Sullivan, and he's, he did an extraordinary job. And he basically underestimated how much it was going to cost. So he could get the job, he thought. <laughs> and he ended, up, like, he ended up having to be rescued because he just had bitten off more than he could chew. But he was like, we recorded a band in this cabin in the woods. It, re it was a real cabin in the woods with all the cables for lights and stuff there and all then a, 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 an entire live rig as well to record this. And, and it's not like you're playing to, it's not like you can always play to a click track because you don't want to, you don't want to beat the actors into a certain position for delivering lines outside the music. So you have to find a way to cover a scene which is going to be cut, but not have playback. Mm. And so we had systems of clicks that would come in at various points in the scene, into the drummer's ear. I mean, we big, big decision that was made early, which was the best decision, was yeah. to cast Carla Azar, who's like one of the world's best drummers, as, as uh, that character, because had we not done it, yeah. You, you cannot, you know, so we had a superb musician at the center of the band. And we didn't have great access to some of the actors. We only had a few weeks. Wow. And then when we got them rehearsing, luckily they all got on great, but all they did was they started jamming funk all the time. <laughs> so Lenny and I are coming in like school teachers clapping hands going, okay, well, let's now we got to work on the songs. Yeah. And they just ignore us. Like, oh, I mean, Michael Fassbender up. doing all this funk stuff. Like, and do, <laughs> and, and, and Donald Gleeson, the, like they were like kids. Because <laughs> all actors want to be rock stars, so this was like the ultimate. <laughs> the stay away from my fucking theremin is just one of my favourite yeah. lines. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. And that whole opening scene where he's 
where he's trying to find the inspiration for those songs, and it's that ladies with babies. <laughs> well, tell, you actually, can tell the story, yeah. That Donald came to my studio. So I, I, I have this really grotty studio in a place called Dunleary outside Dublin. And I mean, it's really grotty. It, it is you actually You wouldn't bring really people grotty, there. Yeah. It's not like this wonderful, like if you see Hans Zimmer on the front of on Turbo Sound or whatever it is, <laughs> in his huge... It is in his huge palatial thing with things that come up and down. I mean, my place is really grotty, which I like because it's like a little, it's, it's my place. Nobody ever wants to be there. So Fassbender uh, pitches up for a week of rehearsal and he was, he was really great. He just, he arrived in a taxi, came in and we spent a lot of time just talking just so I could, I could get to know him. We spoke about motorbikes and various things and whatever. And we got on really well. And that was a huge, that was a really important thing because he needed to trust me. And again, he's gone, who's this guy? Now, he would have some idea from, he would have known Lenny's films from being Irish or, or whatever, but he kind of had to trust me because I was in charge of him and making him sound good. And he's really musical. My most likable song ever. Coca-Cola, lipstick ring, go dance all night, dance all night. I've got dancing legs. Woo! I've got dancing legs. They won't stop me dancing, no. They won't stop me dancing. Kiss me, just kiss me, kiss me, Nephrodite, just the way you like it, just the way you like it. Kiss me, kiss me, lipstick, kiss me, lipstick, Ringo, that's the way you like it. So I had him there for a week, and then I had Donal coming in between, and they hadn't met, but Donal was coming to my studio. And he said, look, how are we going to do this song? And I said, well, look, why don't you just literally go over to the window and just just start messing and whatever. So he just opens the window and I start playing the piano behind and he just looks out the window and he sees a lady walking up the road with a baby and he goes, ladies with babies. And that's it. Ladies with babies. That's how it works. Lady in the red coat, what you doing with that bag? Lady in the blue coat, do you know the lady in the red coat? Lady with the red coat, what are you doing with that bag? That was a lady with a red yeah. coat walking up the street with a bag. <laughs> Which then got turned into the... They actually shot it then for the... <laughs> we shot, so we said, OK, well, that, so that would then go back to the script. You say, OK, we got this ridiculous, like the ultimate, least creative possible piece of song, songwriting, the most literal thing, right? And, um, and it actually came, partially came from a thing where I'd been listening to an interview with a musician on the radio who gave this long, very pompous um, discussion about, yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine who was saying, you know, he was walking with his kid on the beach, and, and his kid said, Dad, what's life about? And it made me think about something, so I just, here's the song. I was walking with my kid on the beach, and he said, Daddy, what's... And I thought, that is not creativity. You just literally said the thing that you, that you saw. So, 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 the, and then Donald, so Donald went off and did that, right? And, and so then we would run back into the script and go, okay, so production, we need a lady with a red coat and a bag. <laughs> uh, you know, we need a lady with a baby. <laughs> so the whole thing was, and it was happening on the fly. So it was really, yeah, it was all very funny. Amazing. Bit insane. Share your music with us, John. Um. Play something. Okay. I haven't warmed up my hands. Um, okay, um, uh, that's just, that's a warm-up. Um, 
I put one. I put one that's like. I was walking down the street one day, thinking about the lady I love. When a guy comes down and says, "What do you do?" <sighs> that's not. I haven't finished. C'est la, la, la merde. Ça. I, uh, I've got a kind of a rocky one. Lady in the red coat, what you doing with that bag? I, I've only. Fuck, you know when you've just got so many songs and then just none of them will fucking come out? Oh no, I've got one. I've got one. There's one which is like, um... That's yours. Well, we'll talk more about that in our Frank special at some point. And you're going to play the... I am going to so play So I'd say one thing about this, because this is to Stephen's eternal credit. So the last song in Frank, the brief was the easy brief yeah, you just have to write a great song. This is not a joke. This is not a joke anymore. It has to be in the universe of the band's musical style in inverted commas, but it has to be great. So Stephen came in and he played me this song, which is pretty much exactly as Michael delivers it, including the ramble at the beginning about the wall and all that stuff. And I thought it was amazing. And then we had to play it for the band. And I remember that. That was really early on, before when everybody had come together and nobody, everybody's wary, and nobody knows if this is going to be any good or really silly. Um, but that was this song, and it is a great song, and without it, the film would not have an ending. Um, I'm going to thank you all before we play it, if that's okay. Can you please put your hands together for this wonderful panel? Nathan, Stephen, Gail Lenny, thank you so much for being here. That's going to be really cheesy and go, I love you all. But hey! Let's look at Frank. It's really nice, nice to see you. It's nice to be here. Oh, Madrid. I love your wall. Washington smell. They could be cleaner. Put your arms around me. Fiddly digits, itchy bridges. Stale beer, fat fucked, smoked out, cowpoke, sequined mountain ladies. I love your wall Put your arms around me Fiddly digits, itchy britches I love you Thank you. 
return to where the dogs play pool. I love you. From Frank, that's I Love You All by Stephen Wenix, as performed by Michael Fassbender, rounding off our latest soundtrack in live with Lenny Bramison, Stephen Wenix, Nathan Nugent and Gail Egan. My huge thanks to them all for taking the time to join me at London's BFI and all the team down there who are fantastic. It was a wonderful night. The Little Stranger is on general release now and is a wonderful piece of filmmaking. We hope you get the gist of what the clips were all about, even without the visuals. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK for news of our next live event and do keep spreading the word on your socials if you like what you hear. Next up, I'm really pleased and excited to bring you MIA, talking about Matangi Maya MIA, Stephen Loveridge's music documentary about her life, which you might want to check out before listening to next week's show. It's out on general release now. MIA then, next week's guest. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Mm-hmm.